Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today. Hate to interrupt your conversations, but I'm doing that right now, so sorry. Um, hey, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Jake Box, and I'm a lead pastor here at Midtown Church, and so glad that you're joining us, especially if you're just first time uh, to join us, uh, join us on Sunday morning. And we, we gather on Sundays uh, for different reasons, but one of the main reasons is because uh, we need to be reminded that there is an awesome God who's real, who loves this world, and is working to restore it. And uh, this, this week, especially in light of um, another school shooting that happened uh, not far from here um, in Houston, uh, just, just the, that like, terrible reminder, like this is a broken world and desperately in need of being restored. And just the reminder that that's what God's up to. That he's working to bring restoration and that he's bringing that restoration personally in our lives and then sending us out to, to help bring that restoration to this, to this world. And so let me just begin by, uh, let's pray for the families affected by the school shooting, Santa Fe High, Santa Fe High School, and, uh, and just ask that God would, would indeed, even this morning, remind us of what he's up to and that we would be moved to join him in that. Father God, we... Uh, we come with heavy hearts uh, just thinking about the tragedy of the latest school shooting and just, Lord, the, the individuals that were impacted there, uh, families, parents, friends, their mourning, uh, loss of their kids and friends. And God, it's just, it's just horrific. And, it's, and Lord, we know, too, that uh, uh, Lord, that's just one of the many tragedies happening um, throughout our world. And it's just a stark reminder that this, this world is broken and in need of being made new, need of restoration. And God, we come re- to remember that you are a God who's come to change the world, to come to restore us and to restore this world, to make all things new, and that you've done that by coming after us and, and, and sending your son to, to, to die, Jesus willingly coming to, to have your life, your body broken, that we, uh, our lives and our world could be made whole. You know, we want to be a part of what you're doing in this world, and we thank you for what you've done in our lives to, to, to save us. May we join you and, and, and bring good news that brings joy to the people in our life and to our world. God, would you be honored in our time together as we open up your word? In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, hey, let me begin by a little, a little rant. Um, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I hate products that claim to be life-changing, yeah, I don't know if that's just a personal thing, but I feel like that's just like, it's just such an overblown statement that their product is, is life-changing. In fact, if you Google life-changing products, you get over 700 million hits. I know that because I did that this week, and that's, that's just ridiculous. 700 million different things saying that they're life-changing. Uh, popular on that list would be, uh, uh, va- like, I don't know what you call them, robot vacuums, right? That, and I can see that, that that's helpful. Um, you know, also uh, popular on the list, noise-canceling headphones. I mean, nice, yeah? Life-changing? Come on. Uh, popular on the list is dry shampoo. Uh, my wife is a giant fan of dry shampoo, so she, she might swear by that being life-changing, but, you know. Um, facial moisturizers? Really? I mean, if, 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 if a moisturizer wants to be life-changing, in my mind, take the word moist out of your name, right? I hate that word. That would be life-changing. But I mean, it's, just, it's just crazy. There's so many things. I think that they should have qualifiers, right? Like it should, at, at, at minimum, they should have to say minimally life-changing. Or, uh, or you know, uh, every once in a while, slightly life-changing for a short period of time. I mean, if they want to call, if they have to qualify that. 
I grew up going to a, uh, a church uh, that said, uh, had it in, on a sign in their auditorium, a big sign that said uh, that we are a family of believers uh, committed to reaching people with the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. And every week when growing up, I'd read that sign, uh, life-changing reality of Jesus Christ, and oftentimes I would wonder, like, what is that? Because like, as, as, uh, you know, as I was young, my understanding was that I, I think, like, okay, I could see how Jesus is, is uh, you know, afterlife changing, right? Like, he, he, he could change your eternal destiny. I, I had that kind of understanding. Uh, but as far as my life here and now, the everyday grind and all that kind of stuff, like, really, like, life-changing? Like, is Jesus really life-changing? Or is that just a... Uh, <laughs> an overblown statement similar to dry shampoo or noise-canceling headphones. What do you guys think? Is Jesus really life-changing? Has Jesus, uh, if you're a Christian, if you're chosen to be a follower of Christ, trusting that Jesus died in your place, you've believed in his life, death, and resurrection, and that he's your Savior, let me ask you, has Jesus changed your life? How has he changed your life? In what way has he changed your life? By what means has he changed your life, if any? And if you're here, you're exploring Christianity. You're, you're not a follower of Christ yet, but you know, maybe you're here because someone promised to buy you lunch afterwards, which is awesome. Or if you know, you're just here you know, wanting to seek and see, like, what's this all about? Uh, what do you think would happen if you trusted in Christ? Like, how would he change your life? What would, about your life would he change, and how would he go about changing it? Do you have any idea? Well, this, this morning, we're uh, continuing in our study in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9 is what we're going to be looking at. If you want to go ahead and go there on your phone, your Bible, whatever, uh, you can. But uh, this passage is one of the most uh, well-known uh, uh, stories in all of Scripture. It's the story of the uh, young, zealous Pharisee, the, uh, the Pharisee named Saul, how he, Jesus changed his life. In fact, so radically changed his life that he, be, he went from being this, this just like the number one enemy against Christianity to being uh, one of the number one fans of, if you will. He, he went from being, uh, going from town to town, trying to stamp out Christianity, to snuff it out, to put an end to it, to going from town to town, being run out of town after town for proclaiming Jesus and spreading the good news of Christianity. And this is the story of how Jesus has changed Saul's life, and how he ended up becoming the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament and is very famous. All right, so you think, well, how did he, how did Jesus change his life? Well, that's what we're going to get to look at, and what we're going to see is really just ask these two big questions this morning. How does Jesus change your life? Like, by what means? Like, how does he do it? And then, what kind of change does he bring to our lives? In what way do our lives change? And so, let's jump into this. And uh, have some fun uh, looking at this this morning. Um, if you will, go again, like I said, Acts 9. We're going to pick up in verse 1. And uh, we'll just begin by seeing the very first uh, few verses here give us a helpful depiction of what Saul was like initially. Because if you're going to see uh, someone's life change, it's helpful to know, well, what were they like first? And then how did they change? Well, verse couple, first couple of verses here show us, give us a pretty uh, a stark a picture into what, uh, Saul was like. It says this, 
Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, the way was just a way to refer to the the church or the Christ followers. So if he found any there belonging to the way, whether men or women, he might take them and uh, as prisoners to Jerusalem. Okay, now it's helpful to understand the reason that it says that he was still breathing out murderous threats is because back in, at the end of Acts chapter 7 and the beginning of uh, Acts chapter 8, we were first introduced to Saul. And there we're, we see that he's this young guy, he's this young Pharisee, which a Pharisee is a religious leader, and that he is kind of depicted as being a key player or overseer of the persecution that breaks out against Christians, first century Jerusalem. And that he uh, kind of oversees the the stoning of Stephen, first martyr of Christianity, and then this persecution in Jerusalem just breaks out, and they're they're going house to house, uh, taking uh, and arresting uh, Christians, men and women, all over the place. And what you see here is that Saul, it it says he's still bringing out threats. And in fact, he's he's so zealous for wanting to snuff out Christianity that he... (laughs) Though uh, in Acts 8, he had basically run most of the Christians out of Jerusalem. That didn't satisfy him. That now he's wanting to go to another city to continue to pursue Christians to to put an end to them, right? And so he's going to uh, ask him for permission to go to Damascus so that he can keep arresting Christians. And like, that's not, guys, that wasn't like just a stone's throw away. Damascus was basically the distance from here to Houston. All right, and so if you don't have a car, that's a that's a decent distance. But he's so so passionately opposed to Christianity and all that they believe, what they stand for. He's saying, "Okay, I'm I'm going. I want to go there, put an end to this." But then something happens that changes his life. Picking up in verse three, it says this: As he neared uh, near Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. And I've come to put an, I've come to put an end to you, because you have been trying to put an end to my followers. Actually, if you're following along in your Bibles, it doesn't say that. That last, that last part, I, I, I just made that up. But... <laughs> See if you're paying attention. But, um, like, don't you expect Jesus to say that? Like, I mean, I would. Like, I'm thinking, okay, when Jesus, <laughs> when Jesus is on earth, his number one group of enemies is, the, like, Jesus didn't treat them as enemies, but they treated Jesus as his, if he was their enemy. They hated him. They opposed him. It was the Pharisees. It was the religious leaders. In fact, they led the charge to see Jesus crucified. And then, now, when Christianity is spreading the good news of what Jesus did on the cross to, to you know, make the way for us to be reconciled to God, when that news is beginning to spread, it's the Pharisees, specifically Saul, trying to stamp that out, trying to put an end to this movement, to, to try to keep the good news of what Jesus has done from getting out to the people. And so when Jesus shows up, to Saul on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians, wouldn't you think that he would show up to say, hey, hey, guess what? I'm real. 
And I'm here to judge you and condemn you and put an end to you. That would make sense to me. But guys, that's not what Jesus does here. And what we get to see in this interaction between Jesus and Saul, the number one enemy to Christianity, is what we get this insight into how Jesus begins to change our lives. See, what Jesus does is that he, in love, pursues Saul. He confronts Saul, yes, why are you persecuting me? But he confronts Saul not to condemn him, but to change him. And he confronts him for the purpose of confronting him with his reality, not to confront him with judgment. That what he wants, what Jesus wants, is for Saul to know that he's real and that he really has lived, died, and risen again. And so the resurrected Christ appears to Saul on his way to Damascus as a way of pursuing Saul in love. And guys, that's how Jesus begins to change our lives. He's the initiator. He comes after us. Put it this way, we are changed by Jesus' pursuing love. We are changed by Jesus' pursuing love. Um, and what I love about this story, one of, one of the many things I love about this story, is that uh, if Jesus would pursue Saul not to condemn him, but to change him and to call him out of a destructive life and into a significant life, which is what we see play out here, uh, if he would do that for Saul, he would do that for anybody. Again, I mean, Saul's number one enemy to Christianity. But Jesus shows up to pursue him. If he would pursue Saul, he'd pursue you. He'd pursue your friend. He'd pursue anyone that you know. There's no one that's so far gone that Jesus says, eh, just be done with him. If he'd come after Saul, he comes after you. Isn't that awesome? And when he comes after you, he comes after you to, to lo- in love. Um, it, now, granted, this story, it's dramatic, right? He shows up. It's a light. Saul falls to the ground. He hears a, Here's this voice of God. Um, usually when Jesus pursues us, it, it's not like that, all right? Uh, but when you see in Scripture, you see Jesus pursuing people in many different ways. And so sometimes, yes, dramatic ways. But most often in Scripture, the way that Jesus comes after people is through his people and through his word. In fact, if you were with us just the last two weeks, we've seen that in Acts chapter 8. Remember, uh, how does Jesus come after the city in Samaria? It's by sending Philip. Philip comes, sharing the good news, and people come to faith. They believe that Jesus has truly lived and risen again, and they believe the good news. Or then last week when, when Josh was teaching, we looked at the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, and, uh, and in that story, how does Jesus come after him? Well, one, it's through his word. The, 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 uh, the Ethiopian was reading the a scroll of Isaiah, but he didn't fully understand it. And so Philip comes and he explains it to him. And, and then the Ethiopian decides to be baptized, to believe, because what Jesus has pursued him through his word and through Philip, through his follower, guys. And that's the, that's common, that's the most common way we see Jesus pursue people in Scripture and in you know, in our experiences. But here's, because that's not as dramatic as what you see here with Saul, it's just helpful to recognize that biblically speaking, if any of you have come to recognize who Jesus is and to place your faith in him, biblically speaking, 
from the perspective of, the, uh, of God, that was done as a result of Jesus pursuing you, not you figuring out him first. He was the cause. He was the initiator. He in love pursued you, just like he does Saul here. And if you're here today and you're, you don't, you know, you're, you're exploring. You're not a Christian and you don't know if you ever will be, but you're curious. Again, from the Bible's perspective, what that means is that the, the whole reason that you're curious and even willing to seek is that Jesus is pursuing you in love. He's coming after you. He's chasing you down because he loves you, and he wants you to know him, and he wants to know you and, and have a relation with you to, to a greater degree than you do, than you even know. See, that this, is, this is how Jesus changes us. He pursues us. He comes after us. And when, when we recognize who he is, then he brings radical change to our lives. Specifically, he changes our entire perspective, changes our whole way we see things. See, I, I keep saying when you recognize that who he is, that's straight from this passage. Remember, so verse 5, to read it again, he says, uh, when Jesus shows up, uh, Saul says, hey, who are you, Lord? Saul asks. He says, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go to the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, and they had heard the sound but did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So Jesus pursues Saul. Saul recognizes, who are you? I'm Jesus. Okay. Then he's blinded, which is a wild part of the story. And he goes into Damascus, and for three days he doesn't eat or drink anything. He's blind. What do you think he's doing during that time? He's rethinking his entire life, right? I mean, if you think, I was trying to think, what would this be like? Like, uh, this is probably a terrible example, but like, if you won the lottery, on a, like Friday night, you won the giant, huge lottery, and I don't know how the lottery works, I, I've, I've never played it, um, but uh, let's just pretend that if you win the lottery on Friday night, you can't turn in the ticket until Monday morning. And then, so what do you do for that, the whole weekend? What are you doing? You're just thinking about how your life has changed, right? You're thinking about all the things you're going to buy and all the worries are going away and all this stuff. I mean, you're not because y'all, you guys are more spiritual than that. You know, money's not that important. But, but some people would just be, I mean, they're, they're, they're seeing all their life through a completely different perspective. Well, guys, that's what's happening for, for Saul here. For three days, he's seen all of life through a completely different perspective. Because remember, Saul did, absolutely did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Which is why he was trying to end Christianity, because the Christians believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And yet here, Jesus, the Messiah, shows up to him, resurrected from the dead, says, here, I am Jesus. And all of a sudden, everything changes, his entire perspective changes. His perspective about who God is, about who Jesus is, about his need, Saul's need for a savior, because he'd have to think, oh, I thought the Messiah was going to be the strong king who was going to come and free us from Roman opposition. But Jesus, Jesus was this person who, who was actually, he crucified at the hands of the Romans. Why would, it, why would that happen? He's like, oh, wait. I think Saul, even though he's blind, was now starting to, he was well-versed in scripture as a Pharisee. And I think he began to see parts of the Bible that he'd never seen before. Book of Isaiah starts coming to life to him, second half, the, 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 the Messiah, who's a suffering servant, 
who would die for the transgressions of the people. He says, oh, they could never understood that, but now, oh, that makes sense, Jesus. The whole animal sacrifice is the Old Testament. I've never understood why, how could, how could an animal atone for the sins of people? It doesn't make any sense. Oh, wait, what, what if they're pointing to something, to, to the Messiah, who, who's God the Son, who would die for the sins of the people? That makes sense. And all of a sudden, he begins to see clearly, even though he's blind. He's able to understand Jesus is the Messiah, and I needed a Savior, and he's come after me, not because I deserve it, because I was trying to kill Christians, but because he loves me, and all of a sudden, his entire perspective changes. Jesus changes us by his pursuing love, and what he changes our entire perspective when we recognize who he is. That's the first thing. Let me keep going because it's a great story. <laughs> Just keep rolling with it. Um, verse, uh, pick up in verse, into uh, verse eight again. He says, "So they led him by the hand into to, uh, into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything." In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, "Ananias, yes, Lord," he answered. And the Lord told him, "Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul." For he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. I love Ananias' response here. Lord, Ananias answered, "Um, I know that you're God and you're probably omniscient and kind of know everything. But, you know, I don't know if you're like, I don't know if you're aware of the word on the street. Because the word on the street is, have you heard that there are many reports about this man? And all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem and how he has come with authority and chief priests to arrest those who call on your name. Do you know that, God? (laughs) But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Guys, this is wild. Here's what I, I, I want us to see. Let me read it and I'll explain it to you. It says, Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, there's a lot going on here. For sake of time, what, what I want to see when it, talks, you know, when it comes to the question, how does Jesus change us? This next thing in Saul's story, what we see is Jesus changes us by his accepting love. Because it, it, it's highly significant that uh, when, when Ananias shows up, well, that God would send Ananias, that Jesus would send Ananias, and then when Ananias shows up, he, he would say, he, just this part again, let me read it again. Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit, if you're unfamiliar with Christianity, the Holy Spirit's the third person that God had, and it's kind of hard to explain. It's the Trinity, one God, three persons. This is God himself coming to say, I'm coming to fill you. I'm coming to indwell you, to be with you. Like, you can't get any more accepted by God than that, that he would come to live with you. And Jesus sends Ananias to say to Saul, I want to be with you. 
that I've accepted you to this degree. And, and remember, not based on anything Saul had done. I mean, Saul had absolutely done nothing, nothing to deserve this. And yet, in God's incredible grace, he comes after Saul. He pursues Saul, and he accepts Saul and comes to dwell with Saul. And what results here is a change of relationship with God and a change of relationship with others as well. Because God's incredible grace towards Saul leads Christ's follower, in this case Ananias, to also extend grace to Saul. And so Jesus is accepting love, changes Saul, changes his relationship with God, and changes his relationship with others. So Ananias says, okay, brother Saul. He uses this language, this familial language, because in the gospel, what we hear when, when you have recognized that Jesus is your Savior because he's pursued you and that you believe in him, he accepts you fully to come and dwell with you, and he changes who you are. Whose you are changes, who you are changes, how you relate to God changes, how you relate to others, all of that changes. You're now the child of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters with the family of God. And God is your Father, Jesus, your Savior, Holy Spirit, your Comforter and Counselor. Saul gets baptized. It's his way to go public, say, hey, I am united with Christ and united with the community of believers. These guys, you see, how does he change? How does Jesus change Saul's life? The very people that he was coming to arrest and kill, now are his brothers and his sisters. The God that he had rejected, had pursued him, and now his, he's his father. Saul, his son. Relationship with God, relationship with others changed completely. There's so much more on that. I'd love to talk on but I'm going to keep moving. So then, uh, after that, we read this. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished. They're astonished because this is radical change. Can you feel this? So they're astonished and ask, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name, like the name of Jesus? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. The very thing that he was absolutely certain was not true. This has changed dramatically and the result of Jesus pursuing him and accepting him is changed. And so now he's telling others, verse 23, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan and day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the well in the wall. And when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, <laughs> not believing that he was really a disciple. He's an undercover spy, you know. But Barnabas, Barnabas is, uh, wasn't one of the apostles, but a, a faithful follower of Christ. Uh, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and told them uh, how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus so Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Another picture of how Jesus' acceptance of Saul led to a change of relationship with others. They accept him fully because Jesus accepted them fully. Verse 29, he talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews. That's the Greek-speaking Jews. 
but they tried to kill him. And when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. I read that and just think, man, what was Saul thinking? When he's being lowered down at the wall of Damascus, because the, the, the people there want to kill him for talking about Jesus. And what is he thinking when he's being run out of the city of Jerusalem? Because people want to kill him because he's been speaking about Jesus. Like, I'm sure that the irony was not lost on him. I mean, that is exactly what he had just a little while ago had come to do. He was trying to run Christians out of those towns. And it's just amazing. Like, what? changed him to this degree, the number one enemy of Christianity, going town to town to snuff it out, to now being run out of town and town for trying to spread the good news of Jesus. What changed him? It's Jesus' love changed him. It's Jesus' love that changed him. Jesus doesn't change. I don't know what you think about. If I come to know Jesus, what he's going to change, what's going to change is that I'm going to have to start following all the rules. And what he's going to come at me with is rules. And that Jesus changes us by putting rules on our life. No, Jesus comes after us because we can't keep the rules, friends. That Jesus comes after us with love. It's his love that changes us. And what leads Saul to begin to proclaim Christ to others in Damascus and then then Jerusalem. And then what you'll see in the rest of the book of Acts is like literally to the ends of the earth. Like he keeps preaching the good news. What caused him to do that is that he was compelled by the love of Christ. Compelled by the love of Christ. And because he was compelled by the love of Christ, it changed who he was living for. See, Saul recognized how bad he needed a Savior. When he was face-to-face with Jesus and he realized that Jesus really is God, that he really is the Messiah, he really is the Son of God, it dawned on him, oh my goodness, what have I been doing? To the point that later on in his life, he would pin pin these words, this is a trustworthy statement that Jesus Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. See, Saul knew how bad he had messed up. (laughs) He knew that he needed a Savior. And he knew the love of Jesus, who had pursued him and accepted him, come to dwell with him, changed his relationship with God and with others. And now Jesus' love compelled him to go and tell others about this awesome Savior, Jesus, so they too could know the joy of knowing him and his love for them. So that Saul would later, known as the Apostle Paul, would write these words in 2 Corinthians 5, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. As Christ's love compelled Saul and therefore changed who he was living for. How does Jesus change our lives? It's by his love. 
love that pursues us, love that accepts us not based on what we do, but based on what Jesus has done for us through his death and resurrection. And then his love, when it comes home to your heart like he did Saul, compels you to quit living for yourself, but to live for the one who lived and died for you. Changes your perspective. It changes your relationships. Changes your identity. It, it changes your whole purpose in living. It's this, is there a life-changing reality of Jesus Christ? Yeah, you bet there is. You bet there is. I want to bring up a couple friends this, uh, to, to tell their story. Because you, know, you hear from the apostle Saul, or you hear from Saul, who you know, becomes the apostle Paul. And that's great, but um, well, is Jesus still doing this? And so I want to bring up Krista Miller, and I want to bring up Tim Seabolt, and uh, to come up, and, and, and you guys, just to get to hear for a minute, how Jesus has changed their lives as well. And as you hear their stories, I would, I would ask you to reflect on the same question. How has Jesus changed your life? How has Jesus' love changed your life? Or how could Jesus' love change your life? All right, so Krista, thanks for agreeing to do this. Here's your mic. Okay. Well, let me, let me just ask you a couple questions. So first of all, having... Anyway, just talked about how Jesus pursued Saul, uh, came after him out in his love. Like, tell me a little bit about what did that look like in your life? How did, how did Jesus, you know, end up getting your attention, pursue you? Um, so the first time I really started even thinking about whether I believed in a God or Jesus mm-hmm. was in college, which was some years ago. <laughs> um, and I was placed randomly. I went to school in Seattle my first couple years and didn't know anybody there and I was placed with a believer as a roommate and she just kept inviting me to go to like the college ministry thing and so I did and then I was talked into joining a Bible study there that was a bunch of other college kids who weren't believing yet but were kind of interested and then just I I transferred out of Seattle and moved back to North Carolina and um, met a couple girlfriends who are still really good friends now who are also believers and they just pursued me and just kind of being surrounded by God's truth without really even knowing it was definitely integral in Mm -hmm. um, Jesus pursuing me and then moved to Austin didn't know anybody here and Jennifer Box was one of my first good friends and we actually met through a Bible study because I don't know why, but I kept signing up for Bible studies. (laughs) Um, And uh, we've become super close friends, and um, she really just continued to speak truth into my life. And, um, yeah, so... So through, through Jennifer, yeah. Yeah, and I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't want to believe. I was, like, all on board with, like, the morals of the Bible. And, yeah. like, definitely there's a God, but, like, I can't get on board with the Jesus rising from the dead and, like, right. the miracles and things. I was like, there's some practicality here, but I can't, I can't commit the whole way. So yeah. that's where I was for, like, 15 years. So, so what say. changed? So uh, one day I was... <laughs> I really suck at this. (laughs) Um, Okay, so um, in 2014, I had a two-year-old. He was a surprise. We had him before we were married, um, and I had a lot of guilt around that and a lot of resentment, um, just like 
and anybody who has a baby knows like how that is a train wreck on your life. Like it just changes everything. And I wasn't ready for that. And um, in 2014, I was diagnosed with melanoma and it was like pretty, pretty smooth sailing that time. Um, but I was in bed recovering from surgery, waiting to hear if like lymph nodes were clear, you know, biopsy. And I was just so, so angry. <laughs> that, I mean, I didn't know what I was facing that time. Um, would I have more treatments that would make it so it wasn't possible for me to have more kids? And here I'd been so resentful of this amazing kid. And um, all of a sudden that was just sort of like, that might not be a possibility for you to have more. And like, you've wasted these two years with this kid. Mm. And <laughs> in that same breath, that same thought, this was not of me. God, I think, spoke and was like, no, it's, this is not a punishment. That was, that was a gift um, for me. And you know, that kid was a gift. Like, out of your disobedience, I'm gifting you this. And um, that just changed my perspective. I was like, well, okay, if, if God can have that much control, then why can't he raise someone from the dead? Why can't he light bushes on fire, like why, if like this is a miracle, right. if this is true, then why can't he do all these other amazing things? Mm. Um, and so that was kind of the moment that I was like, why? Why am I resisting this so much? Mm. Like, yeah. so yeah, that was that. <laughs> wow. Well, t tell me, oh, I know, like, I know your story, and so there's so much that I, <laughs> I wish everyone would get to hear, but just tell me just kind of quickly, like what's changed for you since then? Um, so since then, yeah. um, I was in remission for a while, um, which sounds really dramatic because that first bout with cancer was not that big of a deal, it felt, um, but it came back, and I just finished an entire year of uh, cancer treatment and surgeries, and um, that was not fun. Mm -hmm. It was debilitating on days, and um, but uh, my whole perspective on purpose has changed. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to write some stuff down. Uh, first of all, God continues to place people in my life who are just blowing me away. Um, we had a meal calendar, and people watched Colin when I had to go to doctor's appointments or when I wasn't feeling well, um, and they're all from Midtown, like, or at least people who I've met through Midtown. They might mm -hmm. not come here, but they're all Midtown people that mm -hmm. God has strategically placed around me. Um, and then also my hope just lies with God and not with life or with success or with, you know, all these things that you think come along with maybe becoming a Christian. Like, stuff doesn't get easier when you become a Christian. There's just a different focus. Like, there's something else to hope for. Yeah. Um, and that's been mm -hmm. a big difference for me. And um, I brought Isaiah 54 with me. Um, Isaiah 54, 17, it says, But in that coming day, no weapon turned against you, turned against you will succeed. Um, you will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. And for me, that doesn't mean that, like, you're going to defeat cancer. Like, you could mm -hmm. potentially die of cancer, or um, it could come back, or you could lose your job. Like, it doesn't mean that the weapons are actually not going to succeed in that way. Just that nothing can take away the hope of the Lord, and then also... Um, the love that you can show others. 
yeah. through God. Um, yeah, awesome. so no weapon's going to take away my yeah. ability to love others. Right. Brand new hope, brand new perspective, yeah. relationship with God and others. Yeah. Hey, thanks for sharing. Yeah, no That's problem. really <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Krista. Thank you. Woo-hoo. All right, Tim. Come on, man. Tim, Tim uh, is, is dreading this just a little bit. <laughs> Come on, dude. <laughs> I really didn't think this through before I said yes. <laughs> oh, all right, man. Tell me a little bit about your story. So, yeah, again, here, uh, Jesus pursues Saul. Yeah, you, just look at me. We're just, we're just having a conversation. Don't mind these people. So Jesus pursues Saul. And love, uh, even Saul was running away from him or wanting nothing to do with him. Tell me a little bit about your story initially. What, what was your life like before, before Christ? Terrible. Do explain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I honestly thought I could live life without God and Jesus, and it was a train wreck. I broke the law, skipped school let my family down, end up going to prison for selling drugs and doing meth. Mm-hmm. So you go to prison, and you're, you go there with the plan to change your life around. Is that right? Not at first. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you get, you get you know, connected to some guys that you, you know. I end up going in there, being a knucklehead, being a crash test dummy, and hooking up with the Aryan Brotherhood. Okay, so y'all, how do y'all meet? At the church. <laughs> the Aryan Brotherhood at, in prison. You have your meetings in their little local church service. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and, what, mm-hmm. and then what happened? One day when we were meeting at the church, they were showing the movie The Shack, which really touching you, you feel like Jesus kind of breaks through in pursuing you through that movie. Like, what, what, was, the, what was the message that, what did, what did you feel like Jesus was saying to you there that, that changed, really changed your life? That no matter how much you don't believe in him, you don't love him, you don't think he's real, he is, and no matter what, he'll always love you. Hmm. Okay. And that was, that was, like that came home to you through that that, that yeah. movie, and it's like, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like, feel like that changed your life, huh? Yeah, it did. A Tell lot. me, how how did your life end up changing from, with that realization and Jesus pursuing you in that way? Well, I actually was able to start communicating with my daughter's mother again, mm-hmm. so I can try to have a relationship with my daughter. Um, I got my family back. honestly it just changed the way I thought about life I really before God I wish my life would end Mm -hmm. I didn't want to live no more Mm -hmm. and now I love life Mm. I got a great job I'm about to start ACC going to school for business management yeah Um, got Midtown Church here yeah (laughs) don't really bring that somewhere (laughs) (laughs) and Honestly, just God's great. Yeah. And so Jesus' love for you, it changed, like, relationships with him, relation with others. Yeah. Actually, people want to be around me now. Yeah. It's nice. <laughs> we do. Yeah, we do. Yeah. So. 
It's fun. Okay, so you, you hear Saul's story, how Jesus changed his life, and you feel like, man, yeah, I can relate to that. I feel like I was Saul. Yeah. And now? I, before I came back to realizing how Jesus loved me and lived my life for him, yeah. when my sister passed, I honestly told God I wanted to punch him in the face hmm. if he had one. Yeah. So. <laughs> and now? Now, now I want to give him a hug. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Thanks so much, dude. You did it. <laughs> I owe you big time. <laughs> I'll buy you lunch. Hey, guys, Jesus still changes lives. He still changes lives, and he changes by his pursuing love. You recognize him, he accepts you in a love, into a relation with him. It changes who you are, changes whose you are, changes your relation with others, and changes the meaning of life. His love compels you. As, I, I, G, Paul's prayer in the book of Ephesians, when he starts writing to this church, he says, here's my, my prayer for you that the Holy Spirit within you would enable you to more fully comprehend the incomprehensible depths and width and height and breadth of the love of God. And as you get to know the love of Jesus for you, it changes your life. We're going to end the message by taking communion. And, and we take communion to, to remember how Jesus has loved us that his body was broken for us, that his blood was spilled out for us because he willingly, as, our, as, as, as the one who made us and loves us, he came after us to die for us so that we could be made to be with him. So as you take communion, I, I ask that you would just to, to, you know, think about the very reckless, incredible love of God for you and allow him to begin to change you and compel you to go with him, to love this world so that others can know his love. Communion tables open to anyone. You can come in the back and in front. We just ask that you place your faith in Christ already. If you uh, place your faith in Christ today, even now perhaps he's pursuing you, and you say, I believe that, then we would invite you to, to, to state that to God, and even just in prayer now, and then come join us in taking communion. It's open to you at any time over the next three songs as we respond in praise to God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are, uh, you love us with a love that we, we, can, we can't even fully comprehend, but to the depth that we do, it changes us radically. Thank you for pursuing us. Each one of us has our own story of how we had turned away from you, but you came after us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for accepting us. And when we place our faith in you, we know that we're brought into a relationship with you. You're our Savior, your Father, you're a Father. Spirit, you're a Counselor. I thank you. Would your love compel us to go with you to tell others about what you've done for them too, that they may know the joy of knowing you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <laughs>